What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Hi there, it's Paul, and you're listening to What the Footy, the football business podcast that goes behind the scenes and gives fans, industry experts, athletes, aspiring sports professionals, and more unrivaled insight into football, business, and how the beautiful game is evolving. Here is what I have lined up for you today. As these conversations continue and the EFL get around the table with the Premier League and hopefully we can start to see some changes in the game because as it stands at the moment, it's very difficult for clubs to compete and to be sustainable. I hope you love it. Not like it, I hope you love it. So if you're locked in and listening, give the pod a follow and a five-star review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's a putting off. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that. But then also, they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. So winning the league. Let's just win this to appease the fan. Welcome back to the What the Footy podcast, Tom. Good to see you again. Thanks, Paul. It's good to uh, good to be back on. It's uh... Been a long time since we last chatted, so it'd be good to catch up. Yeah, it's been been about three or three or so years now. Wow, I've been doing this doing this for a long, long time. But I start off the show with this question, which is, what is football to you, a business or a sport, and why? I believe you answered this before, but has your answer changed? I can't remember what I said last time, um, but I think it's probably probably both for me in my role. Um, obviously. You kind of have to enjoy the the sporting side of it, but also understand the business side to to be able to function at at the right capacity. So, um, yeah, both I think for me. No, that's awesome. Just sort of talk to me about your role now and your day to day, because obviously when we last spoke, you were CCO at Bristol Rovers, and now you're now CEO and was made CEO in November two thousand and twenty-one. Just sort of walk me through what a day in the life is like for you, Tom. Well, my week's quite varied. Obviously, we're split across two sites. Um, so we've got the main business functions operating from here at, at the stadium. And then we've also got the training ground, which is 20 minutes down the road. So across the week, I'll be split across both sites, trying to make sure I'm visible and accessible to everybody on, on both sides of the business. Um, and each day is varied, really. There's there's never really two that are the same. Um, it depends on on the format of the week, where the fixtures are, and, and obviously what business challenges we have going on at the time. So I'll be split across across the various sites and just doing what I need to to keep driving the club forwards. No, that's awesome. And obviously, since we last spoke, I think at that time that was when the I think it was the five point strategy was announced and the the club's ambition. Obviously, fast forward, you, you obviously. Attendances have sort of shut up as well. Record shirt sales, record retail sales, a new stands being built, the training grounds obviously progressing, progressing there as well. What is the ambition for yourself, the ownership, and the board? We want to just keep moving forward. Um, we don't want to sit still and and stagnate. Obviously, ultimately, we want to get to to the championship and then and then see how we get on once we get there. So that's the the ambition on the pitch. Off it is just to keep getting better in every department every year. Um, like you said, I took over last November. Now we've we've been on a pretty sharp 
trajectory since then, which was obviously underpinned by the good performances on the pitch. And we, we need to keep moving forwards. We don't want to um we don't want that forward momentum to to halt at all. So we just need to keep looking for ways to improve. Um, that's on the pitch, that's off it, that'll be in our sports science, that'll be in our commercial teams, that'll be in store. Um, we're just being pretty self-critical and always looking for ways in which we could be better and and to try and hopefully use that to then underpin the forward momentum for the football club. So like you said, we've got a, a stand development that we're looking into for the summer, which will increase the capacity and enable us to, to house more fans here at the MEM. We've had huge progression over recent years in our online store and I think every year it feels like our kit sales are record kit sales for for the club. Um, hopefully we could beat those next year. The the new kits that are already planned for next season will be something a little bit different, and and hopefully we'll we'll kind of get a really good reaction. Um, commercially, we're generating more income than we have before. We don't have enough hospitality at the stadium. We've renovated the main restaurant to increase the capacity. That's selling out. All the boxes are sold for the next three years. So yeah, it's, there's lots of positives going on, but at the same time, we're not we're not sitting back and and content with the progress that's been made. We're still really ambitious and want to keep improving and, and moving forward. Yeah, and, and even just speaking about ambition as well. Obviously, I think when we last spoke as well, the club was in League One. You then obviously went down to League Two and were able to to secure promotion back to League One in, in dramatic fashion on the, on the last day of the season, and obviously going. Going well, going well in the lead one, and I heard Joey Joey Barton mention how I think back in January mentioned that fifty-two point target, and you still got thirteen games to go, and that's very much achievable. And just seeing where you are after that, just talk about the challenge of actually navigating through the pyramids and having that ambition of the championship because. It's interesting how the league obviously works and operates because I believe from a cost control perspective, you can spend about 60% of turnover. The teams that drop in from the championship can spend about 75%. You've got different kind of ownership models in the EFL now. You've got US consortiums who, who, who want an appetite of English football. You've got billionaires in the EFL football clubs as well. Just talk to me about the challenges that are on the ground in terms of, of, of navigating through, through the pyramid. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a really difficult financial backdrop. I think for for most clubs in in the EFL, um, League One's probably the most interesting case because you have the the kind of biggest disparity between clubs like Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday and Portsmouth and Derby, and um, the list goes on. And they're in the same league as clubs like Morecambe and Accrington Stanley and and Cambridge, um, and we probably sit somewhere in the middle middle of that. Um, so it's a really difficult financial position for us to be in. Strangely, um, I think it's easier for a club of our size to compete in a league like League Two um, because naturally we have one of the bigger budgets. Because you're, if you do things right and you, you invest in the team well, you're naturally winning more games and therefore attendances are up and all your, your secondary income is up. Coming into League One, it's a little bit more difficult, although we get a bit more central funding. Your wage bill goes up. The games are more difficult. You're not in that routine of of winning every week. Um, and we've had quite a, a shift transition in terms of the squad over the last few seasons. Um, we obviously had a big turnover once we got relegated into League Two to to rebuild the team and, and start that forward momentum up up the leagues. Um, obviously, then getting promoted, you then have to reassess everything and and try and build a, a new team that's able to to 
compete again at, at a higher level we've we've also based a lot of our our recruitment and our our success around trying to pick out the best young talent that we can attract from generally from bigger teams and obviously that's brilliant while they're here and we 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 all really grateful for the role that Elliot Anderson in particular played last season for us but also Connor Taylor and and Beefy we managed to keep having those players on loan can really improve your team in the short term but obviously then they go at the end of the season and you've got to re-recruit and try and fill that gap um, which we had to do this summer and and again a little bit in January so yeah it's 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 a really difficult financial backdrop it's very difficult for for us to compete I think it's difficult for most teams to compete at this level and you have to strike that balance all the time of being ambitious and wanting to move forward, but trying to do it in a sustainable way. We don't want to get carried away and cause the club any long-term pain by by trying to get some short-term gain. So we're trying to build incrementally, like I said at the start, all the time. Um, and if we can do that and be successful on the pitch, keep getting better, then hopefully we can start moving up the uh, moving up the leagues and, and getting better. But it's very difficult for us, given the infrastructure. That's the key, really, to to moving up the pyramid a bit quicker. Um, so you see Brighton were obviously in, in League One, League Two for the majority of their existence with the odd season in the Championship and a couple of years in the in the first division as it was. And it was only really then when the Amex was built and they moved into the Championship and they sustained themselves as a second-tier club and now they're obviously a, a well-established Premier League club. Um, and that's ultimately the model and, and the vision for us is to try and carve our own path along a, a similar sort of journey. Yeah, you just led me on to onto the question I wanted to ask, which was which clubs do you almost see in the Championship and the Premier League that have almost gone on that journey that you kind of look to emulate? And I think linked to that as well, where and how are you looking looking for marginal gain because, gains? Because I think one of the, the strategies that we see with a lot of EFL clubs is like you mentioned there, taking an Elliot Anderson from Newcastle on loan and, and having him within within the system. And then he then goes back to Newcastle and you, and you sort of lose that player. Are you looking at data are you looking at improving the academy in terms of bringing players through and having release release clauses sell-on clauses th- th- that sort of type of thing are you looking at looking at untapped talent in the non-leagues and kind of bringing them through and having a player trading model is there any particular sort of strategy that, you, that you're really looking at or yeah I mean ultimately I think everybody's looking at data the problem is most clubs are looking at the same data and, and they're coming to the same conclusions. So you have to try and think outside the box and do things a little bit differently in order to attract the best players. I think we've we've done quite well in terms of the way that our deals are structured and and the the power that that gives us within the market. We've got one of the best strikers in the EFL with us at the moment, Aaron Collins, and he signed a new deal in the summer, which ultimately means that if and when he moves on to a club that's that's within our control and and we would be compensated for the time and the development that we've given him accordingly i don't think that's always been the case for this club in the past so yeah i mean recruitment is key we're we're only as good as the players that we are able to put out on the pitch so we need to be attracting the best possible players for the level that we're playing at and so Trying to find ways to do that is is obviously what everybody's trying to do. I think the training ground really helps us. I think the structure that we've got, I think the opportunities that we give to young players is key. And trying to find the right balance between giving those young players 
minutes and having some experience alongside them to to make sure that we're we're still competing and, and we're doing the right things but I think I mean we had the director of loans for Liverpool with us for the weekend obviously we've got Joel Quanta with us at the moment on loan from them and he said we're, we're, we're getting a really good reputation now for giving young players opportunities and ultimately that that reputation then means that you then get the the kind of best options in terms of young players and you get the, the first pick because people know that if they send the young players here, they're going to be well looked after. They're going to get first team minutes. They're going to be given opportunities to play and progress and they're going to be coached really well, which allows them to develop. And I think all the young players that we've had with us have returned to to their parent clubs are, are much better playing than when they arrived. So that's obviously to our benefit in the short term. That's to their parent clubs benefit in the long term. And I think it's really important for us if you look at our strategic pillars of what we're trying to do. Having a young team that's full of potential is is really important. And that's a mix of sometimes a mix of lone players, but also our own our own talent that's either come through the academy or or that we've bought in at a later date from from another team. So yeah, having young players in the squad and that energy and that enthusiasm and that potential for them to get better together as a group is really important to us. Yeah, and, and I think linked to that, one of the key words within football is, is, is alignment. And this it's one of the hardest things to achieve. I haven't spoken to a lot of people in, in your sort of position as well, Tom. How, how do you ensure alignment operates within within Bristol Rovers from yourself to the board, to the owner, to, to Joey Barton as, as head coach and manager, to the academy director, to the director of loans, to, to the players who are coming through the door that everyone's sort of aligned, knows the strategy and knows what it is to be be a part of the club? Well, yeah, that starts at, at the top. So obviously we're, we're lucky enough here to have a brilliant owner in Wael Alcardi who's invested a huge amount of money into the club and he cares deeply, not just about the club, but about the individuals that work here and he's invested a huge amount of money. So I think everybody's naturally unified to to want to try and deliver success for him. So that, that helps as a first point. I then think our kind of core pillars in terms of the, the the leaders within the, the the building, myself, Joe, the head of football ops, head of the department at the stadium and, and while are all on the same page in terms of what we want to achieve. So filtering down to to staff through the through the structure, the messaging is consistent. And then the key really then is communication. So communication comes from Joe at the training round. He he leads that building and he sets the tone there. And the same communication is is held here at the MEM through our, our weekly team meetings that we have as a group. So everybody knows what page we're on, what the ambitions are. We constantly reiterate what our core strategic objectives are and, and celebrate successes that happen within those pillars and sometimes outside them. So I think that's key, is having everyone on the same page and, and then communicating consistently across the club. Now that's that's super useful because I think from sort of the outside looking in, it, it almost appears that whether that's from yourself, from the owner, from from Joey Barton as as head coach, your club is so big on dialogue, communication, and, and and sort of speaking speaking up, which I think is one of the most important things out there. Being a fan myself, and for fans out there in general, where does that importance of dialogue and communication? for yourself stem from? Because not every single club or every single CEO out there kind of does that. Yeah, I I think the truthful answer is I don't really know. I think that's just the way I've always been. I've never, in any of the clubs I've been at and, and all throughout my career, I've always been somebody who wants to interact with fans and wants to have a conversation. I've never shied away from 
from that communication and and ultimately I think everybody wants the same thing everybody just wants to see the club being successful so for us the best way to do that is to to understand what the fans are feeling and to be able to communicate with them effectively as to what decisions are being made and why you probably would have seen my program notes for for each game that are normally a bit of a monologue and uh, and yeah I think it's a really useful tool that for me to to almost do a bit of a download of of what's going on at that time. It varies from week to week. Sometimes we focus on one particular area. Sometimes it's a bit of a an overview of where we are at that time. But it allows me to address the key points, communicate why we are where we are. And hopefully that then just gives everybody a bit of a better understanding as to what we're doing and the rationale behind it and and ultimately a bit more trust in terms of what we're doing and 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 the reasons behind what we're doing so yeah I think I've always been like that I, I keep I've kept my social media accounts open people contact me on Twitter all the time and do my best to to respond to people where we can and then also beyond that we've we've extended that out now to to the board meeting so whenever we had a board meeting we we released the minutes publicly and, and everybody can read what's been discussed and and what the outcomes of those meetings are obviously there'll be certain things that have to remain confidential there always is but if we can communicate about anything that's going on here than we will do. Yeah, because I think it's something that's so important because it, it just cuts through the noise of speculation. It almost eliminates the the need or the love of the media to, to create a story just by having that open dialogue and, and hearing from people like yourself. Yeah, I think whenever there's a gap, people generally fill it with their own agenda or or their own viewpoint. And quite often that's not based on any real facts. So the more we can talk, the more we communicate, the more there is the wider understanding of what's going on and it stops people drawing their own conclusions or casting aspersions or what they think might be going on um, because they've heard it They've heard it from, from us directly. So yeah, that, I don't, that, we're not going to change that. We'll continue to communicate. We'll communicate when things are good and we'll communicate when things are bad and We'll try and explain why we are where we are and what we think's led us to that point at all points. So I think it's really important and, and it helps get everybody put in the same direction, which ultimately is when when teams and football clubs are successful. Yeah, talk to me about Joey Barton. Obviously, two two years this month of him being, being in charge. What's your relationship like with him? Why did you sort of appoint him? And, and what did what did the club really see in seeing Joey as a, as a manager, head coach? I've I've always gotten really well with Joe. He, like I said, he came in two years ago. I wasn't in this role at the time, but obviously I had communication with him when he first came in and spent a lot of time together. We were in COVID, you couldn't, couldn't do too much, so other than go to work. So we spent a fair amount of time together at that point. I think what we see in him is is a a, real, a really ambitious young manager who's got a huge amount of potential within the game. Extremely dedicated to trying to make us better extremely passionate about football and about this club and about trying to break through some of the glass ceilings to get us to where I think we all believe we can be. And he's he's been brilliant in terms of galvanising the group and, and tracking us to promotion last year when, when it never looked possible. I think that's only down to not just Joe, but the team that he's created at the training ground of, of brilliant people, really, that have all got a huge amount of expertise and a huge amount of experience. And we don't really leave any stone unturned in terms of the performance and that strive for excellence at the training ground. So that all comes from Joe. He's he's led that that building he's he's created that vision and he's driven it forward and and ultimately he's he's led us to success last year 
and we hope that can continue in the future and continue to drive forward and, and move up the leagues. No, that's awesome. Just some wider sort of football business questions. I think that the last time we spoke, I think Project Big Picture was one of the big things on the table at the time. Interesting enough, in the January transfer window, I think about 800 or so million pounds was spent by Premier League clubs and only 3% of the spend went to EFL clubs. What's your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, the the financial model of football in this country is broken. I think that's clear for everybody. Obviously, the white paper's just been released and there's recommendations within that to address that issue. It's extremely hard for clubs at our level to compete because the the gaps to go up and the, the possible rewards of success are so big. And ultimately, on the, the counter side of that is the the impacts of relegation then are, are equally as big, sometimes worse. And what that does is incentivize clubs to gamble. And like I said, we want to build sustainably. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But there are lots of clubs that do. And that ultimately just drives up inflation within the game. And and the more the more wages increase, the higher they go, the harder it is for clubs to compete. I mean, we we operate at the moment at a loss between three and three and a half million a year. And that's to be a middle in terms of budgets. League One club with decent attendances, record revenue. It's really hard. So obviously then you, you go into the Premier League and that world flips upside down and actually the what would be a relatively small amount of distributions coming out of the Premier League into the EFL would make a huge effect on the overall sustainability of the pyramid. And that's ultimately what, what we'd like to see within the game and, and over the next few months as the, the conversation around the white paper continue and hopefully that then leads to some changes within the game. Is that is that almost why for you having the stand expansion, looking for a new stadium, driving more record shirt sales is so important because by increasing turnover, that enables you to to spend more effectively within League One. Yeah, I think there's there's often a misconception with fans that clubs are just trying to, to get more money out of them. And we've been quite open about the fact that we are trying to generate more income, but we're trying to generate more income so that we can invest all that directly into the first team. And ultimately, the more income we generate, the, the bigger our wage budget will be and the the better hopefully we can con- then compete on the pitch. So we're quite open about that. I think it has to be that case because of the way that the, the financial structures are set up currently within the EFL and, and the increase. I mean, we've obviously gone up from from League 2 to League 1. I think it's, it's more difficult to compete at League 1 level financially than it is at League 2 because proportionately your revenue doesn't increase by the same level that your wages have to increase by to be able to compete if you've got any sort of ambition. So hopefully, hopefully over time when the EFL get around the table with the Premier League and hopefully we can start to see some changes in the game because as it stands at the moment, it's very difficult for clubs to compete and to be sustainable and not operate with a wealthy benefactor like, like we are. So does, does that mean you're in favour of an independent regulator? Yeah, we're supportive of of the measures proposed within the white paper. I think that there definitely needs to be some some change in the game. COVID was the perfect example of that, where we had obviously more extreme financial pressures due to the lack of income. We also had the Super League and the proposed breakaway. So I think all of those things combined created a nice backdrop to starting these conversations again and and have ultimately led to, to this white paper being produced, which as a club we, we support.
Yeah, because I believe over the last sort of since the Super League, the Premier League have been trying to to, to create a new deal, sort of a new deal for the game. Do you think those proposals are better or worse than than, than what's been proposed by the government? Or I'm not sure there's any formal proposals been put on the table at all at, at this stage. I think it's an ongoing dialogue, and until we're at the point where we can see them go through them it's it's extremely hard to comment i think obviously the premier league operating as an independent outfit are operating based on their own commercial biases and and not what's best for the overall game which which ultimately is is what needs to be considered but that's very difficult when every club and, and every governing body will be viewing things through their own own natural biases so hopefully an independent regulator if appointed could can assist with that but ultimately it's down to the premier league to to engage with the EFL and hopefully come to a deal that works for everyone the 3 pm blackout tom this is like my pet project the 3 pm blackout i'm so against it i think it's outdated i've spoke to Couple of CEOs who, who who lean in my favour. What's your thoughts on the premium blackout? I'm with you. I I think that when when we moved to iFollow initially, obviously I've been involved in football and we've been through all of those various stages of the journey. And there was some real strong opposition against streaming at all. Never mind the 3pm blackout. I think there was a a fear that what it would lead to is reduced attendances and people choosing to stream games as opposed to attending them. My personal view is that that's not the case. I think that if fans can attend the game, they will attend the game. And if they can't attend the game more often than not, and they can stream it, they will do. Um, we've generated a huge amount of income through iFollow over the past couple of seasons in particular. I think, again, COVID, one of the benefits of COVID is that it helps um, supporters get used to that process. And obviously we're seeing digital streaming across the whole of sport changed dramatically at the moment and fans are getting far more used to to that as a way of engaging with the content that clubs can put forward um but for us i mean we were the highest streamed team in league two last season we're having really strong numbers again this year in league one any game that we can get streamed i mean our our game on saturday was an early kickoff against Oxford and we managed to get the time agreed to a point where it was just outside of the blackout so it could be streamed as well as attended live and we see the benefit of that so I'm completely with you I think it will probably change in in coming years I think those that are against it their arguments have diminished over the past few years and I'm not sure there's any any valid ones remaining that I'm aware of so yeah I'd definitely be supportive of that as well. Yeah, that's always been my argument because if you can attend the game, like me and myself being a fan, I'd rather watch a game in the stadium than, than stream it. But the reason why you probably don't attend the game a lot of the time is due to the kickoff time. So if you're, if you're having to go from London to all the way up north at an awkward time, when you've got work the next day, you're, you're, you're less likely to go and attend that fixture. Yeah, well, we had, we had instances last season where we were playing away fixtures, we'd sold out our allocation. And we were unable to either stream the game online or even stream the game here at the stadium for fans to buy tickets to come and attend. Long discussions with the EFL about it at the time because they they could only grant permission for us to do that if there was a risk of disorder, which seems crazy to me, particularly coming out of the back of COVID and it's so hard for clubs to generate income and you're, you're denying clubs the opportunity to generate income when a game's already sold out. So, yeah, fully support with that. And and I think we'll probably see some quite strong changes over 
the coming years in terms of streaming and and how games are viewed by supporters, not just in this country but all over the world. Now, that's really interesting because even even right now the FL are looking at a new TV deal for 2024-2025 onwards. Obviously, Sky have had had the right since 2002 and apparently that's set to double um, from the current £119 million a year deal and EFL considered removing to a hybrid model. And I think it's interesting because obviously supporting a team in the Premier League, we see what it's like the hybrid model of paying for Sky, Amazon, BT. I was just out on holiday in Morocco and all the games on being sport, you pay, I don't know how much they pay out there, maybe £20 a month or whatever it is, similar to people who have the zone as well. And they can just all watch it on one platform. So it's interesting to see how how things will shift. It will be, yeah. I mean, obviously the, the strange thing about us at the moment is that fans in this country can't watch our games three o'clock on a Saturday, but fans in any other country in the world can. And ultimately, I think all that leads to is piracy and people finding illegitimate ways to watch the game when actually most of them are probably comfortable or more comfortable with that money spending stream the game coming to the to the football club. So yeah, I'm sure through the next the next TV there'll be interesting where we end up and and how those packages are, are divided. The final question that I ask all the guests is what the footy needs to change or happen within your space. Well, I think we've touched on it earlier, but I think that now's the perfect opportunity for us to um redesign the structures that underpin the game in this country I think having a fairer distribution particularly in terms of finances um, will have a huge impact on our opportunities to grow the game not just within this country but abroad as well and give every club a fair opportunity to compete but also to safeguard the future so we don't lose clubs like we have over recent years Now, Tom Gorin CEO of Bristol Rovers thank you very much for your time Cheers, Paul. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I hope you loved it. And if you did, give the pod a follow and a five-star review and tell a friend to tell a friend. See you in a fortnight for the next episode. Let's go. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's a putting awesome. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that. But then also, they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. So when in the league, let's just win this to appease the fans.